I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Blaster Cannon, a Star Wars podcast. We are a Den of Geek podcast about Star Wars and the expanded universe and the ancillary material, both canon and otherwise, mostly canon. And it is a bright new year for Star Wars. Episode 9 is coming out this year. We're getting more books and everything. So, Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah, Happy New Year. Jeez. (laughs) Happy New Year. It's nice to start out what I think is going to be a pretty big year for Star Wars. Yeah. Episode 9 feels like a, a fake number right now. Yeah, it was weird, like, as the new year timed over and, like, it hit me that it was new year, I, I just sit down in the kitchen at the place I was at and just go, oh my god, Star Wars is finishing this year. That trilogy is finishing this year. And I had to have, like, a ten-minute calm-down time about Star Wars. Yeah. We've been waiting well, for so long. Yeah, well, and I, I have said, too, that this is the the later half of, anyway, of 2019 is going to be maybe one of the biggest things of Star Wars in a long time when you have Episode Nine. The Mandalorian, I presume, will be yeah. debuting probably sometime before the end of the year. Um, you Those two things alone, but maybe even Clone Wars, I think, is supposed to be dropping in 2019. I mean, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, my God. So, yeah lot like this it's weird it's gonna be a slow burn because it's it, right as of right now we have like nothing right it's 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 very like crumbs but it's all gonna start picking up after celebration i feel with yeah, all the announcements. i'm a little skeptical yeah, yeah. that um all of that is gonna be ready by 2019 i know they say it is but tv often takes longer than people think it's going to however after celebration is when all that's gonna change that's when we're gonna yeah. know well, okay, I, so I, I kind have of, a question, actually, yeah, for everyone. Sure. Do yeah. you think we're going to get a trailer for the new Star Wars film and a name reveal before Celebration? No. Nah. I, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get this. We'll get the name yes. this month. We'll yeah. get the name this month, but not or within this month, early February. But the actual trailer, no. Trailer will come out before or at Celebration, without a doubt. I think there will be a teaser beforehand in maybe February, maybe earlier. There's been a lot of buzz about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming. But I have a feeling there's going to be a teaser of some kind before Celebration, and then we're going to get a full-length trailer at the convention. Yeah, that's pretty similar to what I've been thinking as well. The name's coming soon, because it came out, um, the last Jedi name reveal came out, what, uh, around this time, uh, two years ago? I kind of think that that's that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen, like around january february but their podcast saga continues they were analyzing to the day <laughs> you know and i'm like we, we pinpointed around the week of the 23rd i think is when the we think it might happen they're gonna announce the name of the movie be- before the trailer drops it's, i i just don't see him dropping a teaser before celebration i i would be open to it 
But I think I mean, but there I has kinda... been buzz of yeah a trailer a teaser that has been cut together. So it's possible because yeah. I remember we... like the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi both had teasers before Celebration happened. Wait, the Last Jedi didn't happen before after no, Celebration. No, Last Jedi didn't happen. Nope. Yeah. I respect like the data-driven method, but I think we're going to get a trailer tomorrow because we had this conversation. <laughs> oh. Knowing our luck, yeah, it'll come out the day after we record this podcast. Yeah, yeah that, that's actually a really valid point. That's a valid point. And, and to, to really follow up really quickly about TV, you're right, Megan, that it, TV does take longer, but the reason why I think that it's going to debut is because – one, they want they're it's already been announced, I believe, that the Disney Plus is gonna debut this year. Like they've already announced that it's coming out this year. The second thing is they need to have a go-to thing for the Mandalorian. That's why I think it's gonna be every episode. Or they're not gonna they're not gonna binge watch it or put all the episodes episodes out, out out all at once. This has been filming since last August. And they're going to have a full year of production of pre or post-production to work on the show. And who's to say they need to have all the episodes done by the time that show they, they release the, um, the service. I think they'll have two episodes done. This is all hypothetical. Obviously my prediction is that they, I, they have to have the Mandalorian come out with the, the, the Disney plus it is. They have to have something that makes everyone want to buy it immediately. And I'm sorry, as much as I love the Clone Wars, and I'm really excited for this. Don't get me wrong. If we're if we are getting the Clone Wars this year, it's not enough to for people to like jump on and everyone subscribe to it. They need something that's going to grab everyone. And what better way than to, to say the very first Star Wars TV show ever, live action TV show that you don't count the Ewok films, those are Ewok TV movies, <laughs> uh, which I love those. And they, they, don't get me wrong, but they're going to have to have something that's going to want drive people that the average Joe to go, yeah, I want to, I want to subscribe to that service. I got to see the star Wars show. And to me, that's, what's going to do. I, and that's why, that's what they're going to do. And that's why I think they're not going to do a binge watch. All the episodes dropped all at once. They have plenty of time to develop, to get these shows out there. And because they've been filming since last August. So they've already been filming for a while and they've already, it seems like they've already gotten ton, at least, at least on that one set that we've gotten set reports from making star Wars We've already got a bunch of stuff already, you know, announced there. So I feel like they've been filming a long time and that it's going to be ready. And it's 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 purposely been filming already so they can release it with the Disney Plus service. Well, we also got some Mandalorian news because uh, yeah. we got the cast revealed, which was very exciting. We had had rumors that were basically taken as truth, which we weren't wrong about, uh, that Pedro Pascal was going to be the main character as the Mandalorian and turns out he is which is exciting because I love him I basically watched that one Game of Thrones season because he was in it he's amazing and I'm very excited I feel like he can bring a lot of charisma to this kind of role and I feel like it means that with him we might get like a little bit of humor with it as well which I'm keen for he's also joined by Gina Carano, Giancarlo Esposito, Emily Swallow, Carl Weathers, Omid Abtahi, Werner Herzog and Herzog, Nick yeah. Nolte yeah Nick which Nolte. I kept reading as Nick Holt for ages. I was like, that's not, that's not the same it, guy. It, oh my gosh, it's Nick me Nolte. too. <laughs> Nick Nolte. That, that's, that's a, that's a, Nolte, yeah, Nick okay. Nolte. That's, that seems like a really good cast. I'm glad the rumor about Gina Carano is true. I don't have much to add about it uh, other than what we talked about back when it was a rumor, but I'm glad it's true. I also think that Warner Herzog's presence is 
good for the memes. I do love some memes in Star Wars. I, I'm I'm actually familiar with a lot of these these actors and actresses. I don't know Emily Swallow at all, but I do know um, Gina Carlo Esposito. He played Gus in Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad. I haven't watched favorite. Breaking Bad, but I know a lot of about Gus because I've heard a lot of people talk about Gus. Yeah, Gus is amazing. Uh, he's 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 crazy. Um, it's an amazing show. I, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows ever. I'm really cool. I'm really happy that he's in it. Um, I love Carl Weathers. I love Predator. It's and obviously, uh, you know, Rocky films as Apollo Creed. He's a great actor, and the fact they got a veteran like him in there is really cool. Werner Herzog, I, I know he's acted in a few things. I've seen Grizzly Man, the movie that he directed. That's a uh, documentary. That's a really f- a fascinating cast, to be honest. Casting, because I know he, he doesn't do much, but he does things here and there. And the fact he he signed on to this is really fascinating. Nolte is really, really interesting. He's kind of a crazy guy himself. He got arrested once. That was really interesting. We should have uh, a word choice, but I'll let you go for it for now. Yeah. yeah. This is a really fascinating um, cast. And obviously there's going to be other small parts that they're not. But this is the, the main the main cast. And it's an interesting really handful. Yeah, it's it's really diverse. I mean, and, and I mean that in like every sense of the word of like, uh, you know, minorities and things like that. But like actually like of just people's like ranges and things like that, like where Herzog is like just out there and Nick Nolte's out there. We have got, um, you know, Gina Car- uh, Carno, who's more of a physical, you know, uh, actor of doing like more physical stunts and things like that. You've got maybe she'll be Gina- like a real cool bounty hunter. Yeah, I mean, or maybe she'll be Mandalorian or. I, I don't know Emily. Yeah, I don't know Emily Swallow at all. But Carl Weathers is a really physical presence, you know. I mean, like he's again, he's kind of like again, got a lot of grizzled veterans. It feels like on this. Uh, I love grizzled veterans, so I'm keeping yeah, this. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like that's what they've got a lot of, and I feel like, uh, yeah, and, and like Pedro Pascal. I mean, like just there's there's a lot of you know just different types of actors and actresses on here. I'm really excited to see what. John Favreau and his team, it was a, and again, another fascinating, uh, diverse lineup of directors he's able to, like, you know, conjure up. So I'm really excited. You know, I looked up Nick Nolte to, like, see if I recognized him anything. I realized I recognized his face because he was in Tropic Thunder, which is the worst movie to realize I recognize an actor from. Um, wow. But I recognized him. And that's, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, so let's, let's move along. <laughs> yes. I forgot that movie existed. That was a bad movie. Let's move on, because we also had news about episode nine filming in Jordan. So it's filming, which is exciting. And it's filming in Jordan, which probably says something to people who pay attention to these things and can, like, read into the hints of things. I am not one of those people. I'm just like, oh, it's filming in Jordan. It's filming. That's exciting. Any thoughts from you two about this? The thing that we can pull from this is that they're filming in the Wadi Rum Desert, um, and along with a couple pictures of uh, Finn and Poe, I believe. Is it just Poe in, like, a grassy landscape? We have a couple, like, rumored locations. So not much more than that, but I kind of like the fact that we know that they are filming in, like, these dramatic environments. Mm, I do love some dramatic environments. I... To, you know, to be honest, I like dramatic. I like dramatic, you know, real environments, but I also like it when they add CG to it and they make it actually way bigger and more like exotic. You know, that's it, to be honest, that's kind of one of my main complaints of the sequel trilogy uh, is that it feels very like condensed. 
You know, whereas like George Lucas really fought the prequels to be exotic and be way more imaginative than just like, let's go to the forest. Let's go in the desert. Let's go in the snow, which he was regulated to uh, (laughs) that in the original trilogy because he didn't have the finances to do exotic things. And when CGI, you know, when he basically brought CGI in the, the mainstream, he was able to do more exotic locations and do more of what came from his head. Where And again, I know we're we're. JJ wants to keep it back at a bit, you know, the basics. To be fair, that's I, it. Like with the uh, star destroyer, like graveyard in on Jakku, that was really cool. The Takodana reveal of like landing there and seeing what it looked like from like above, uh, with the just the trees and the lakes, and that's basically all it was. That was also really cool. But I agree, like in the smaller places they've been, like yeah, it's like a forest, <laughs> another forest yeah. of snow, but it's, it's cool. a little more intimate. It feels yeah, scary. and I know what they're trying to go for, and and like you like you make a great point. Staff, like the Sarda story on Jakku was really interesting, and, and that's where I say, yeah, I can I get behind that. Like that's where they used real and CGI a great blend. And I and as people know, I love the, the beginning of Force Awakens. It's I don't like obviously, um, oh my gosh, Dequar, you know, and it I, I felt like oh, yeah, um, I forgot about <laughs> yeah, I, I did feel that uh, the uh, crate was uh, a for effort. That's a little more exotic. I expect to hear Finn complaining about being in another desert again. And That'd you be not nice. Point me, JJ. Don't yes, disappoint me. Seriously. <laughs> so we also very briefly are gonna skip over these things. Skip. Just just browse them very sh- quickly. Uh, the Resistance mid-season trailer dropped. Um, there were also some Resistance shorts over the holiday break. Um, we just want to acknowledge them. I haven't actually watched them yet because I'm going to just binge everything again like I did last time because that was really good. Uh, any thoughts on those really quickly? The Resistance mid-season trailer looks like it's really opening the show up to become closer to The Force Awakens. They use clips from General Hux's speech to make it connect really intimately to the movie. I'm not sure how whether the show is going to go right up to that line and then stop, or whether it's going to have parts of the show in the events of The Force Awakens. But I think it's interesting. One of the things that I like the most about Resistance is that it is a relatively small-scale story. We get to explore the the Colossus very closely, even though it's not always executed super well. I kind of like that it's a small-scale story. And it'll be interesting to see how much it transforms into a larger-scale story as we get closer to that that war. Um, there's also, of course, the fact that Kaz is from Hosnian Prime. So if we see him react to the destruction of his entire planet and possibly his family, that's going to be a really dramatic uh, situation for a rather bumbling Kaz. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to say about Resistance was that um, the episode that premiered before the New Year, Station Theta Black, brought back Gwendolyn Christie as Phasma and I almost said Poe Dameron as Oscar Isaac. <laughs> the other way around. It was an interesting episode. I still think this show is not quite as polished as it could be, but I really like what they did with Phasma, making her a really intimidating villain with this kind of, she kind of lords it over everybody else. Um, she has, in the in the episode, she mentioned like um, using particular like tracking technology, which I think was a really good callback to the novel in which she leaves her um, like war torn planet in order to partially in order to access the technology that's owned by the First Order and to use that technology to her advantage. So it was a small part, but I thought it was really in character for her. 
other than that, I haven't watched these resistance shorts either. I think they're they're not quite for for me as a, in terms of a target audience, uh, nor as is the Galaxy Adventure shorts, but they're fine yeah. and I wanted to acknowledge that we know they happened because they are technically part of the, you know, the tie-in material. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah those definitely well, happened. The art is cute, but I haven't watched them. For me, I, I love all the Galaxy Adventure shorts. I think those are great. I think those are really, really cool. I, I just cannot get into Resistance. I tried to watch um, to catch up a couple weeks ago. I sat down. I watched one episode, and I was like, I'm good. And, you know, and it was a, it was a fun episode. It was actually it was, it was the Kwaki, uh, the Kwakian uh, Monkey Lizard, and that was really cute. It's not I, – I want – I need more, like, substantial Star Wars right now, and I'm not getting that from – where Rebels used to give it to me, you know, I didn't always love Rebels, but I I definitely liked it more than I didn't. And it would usually satisfy me when it, when I liked it. So now it's like, I like that. It was just okay. And yes. I, I'm going to, I'm going is the year that we acknowledge that all not, not all Star Wars is for us. And we are okay with that. Yeah. I'm excited to see where resistance goes once I binge it, when the season finale comes out, probably. And the galaxy of image shorts are very cute and lovely. And if you like that kind of stuff, check them out. Watch them with your young siblings or relatives or friends or anything as well. And they've said this, that it's like a way to introduce people to parts of the saga that they haven't seen before. And that's fine. That's very, like, know your audience. That's good. The art is cute. Dante Bosco narrates them, which is hilarious because he's <laughs> Zuko. Yeah. The art reminds me a lot of the art in the little golden books. Yeah, same. I kind of like that. Huh. So we also have some book news. Tron. Tron. Thrawn, treason. I, would, I was going to say Tron, treason, because uh, it's the third book. No, yeah, that's it's, the uh, third one, exactly. <laughs> it's T, wait, T-3-R-E-A. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the treason, third book in the Thrawn trilogy. It's not, I don't know if it's going to be a trilogy, but it's going for it now. It's coming out July 22nd. It's set before the finale of Rebels. Thrawn's imperial loyalty is tested. He crosses paths with Orson Krennic, and his protege Eli Vanto returns with dire warnings about Thrawn's homeworld. So it looks like it's, you know, trying to get a bit closer to Rebels a little bit. It's kind of crossing over with Rogue One, and it's also giving you some more stuff about Thrawn's homeworld, which we got a bit of in the last book. Yeah, color me not excited about a third Thrawn book. The first two, the first book I did not like. The second book was better. I just did not need another thir- a third Thrawn book. I really didn't. And it's a little, it, I'm a little disappointed that I hope this is the last one, you know, unless there's something that like, it's like not written by Dave Filoni, but like a, it's um a story by Dave Filoni about, you know, him and Ezra and them surviving. Like that to me is interesting, but like right now getting two books about, yes, I figured this out. And it's like, okay, I get, I, I'm done. They make like, so I, much money. Yeah, they do. I feel like I'm I'm excited for the fans of Thrawn, but I'm also sad for myself because there are only a couple books coming out and like the general like yes at the moment. And Thank you. It sucks to kind of have another Thrawn book coming out when we could have something entirely new. But I do understand that Thrawn is kind of a tentpole name for the novels. A lot of people do love Thrawn, and I accept that, and I am happy for you that you get a third book. And really quickly, um, and I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm looking for. I'll hopefully I'll listen to this before our next episode. There was a um, part of the Flight of the Falcon series. Hondo Anaka, he's in one of the one of the little young adult or kid books. It's about Hondo Anaka and the Falcon, and and I'm having an adventure. I'm not sure with Han or Lon, Londo, Lando, but the uh, audiobook that they sent me 
uh, actually has the original voice actor that played Hondo. He does the the book. Oh, cool. Flight of the Falcon, of? Uh, Pirate's Price. Yeah, Pirate's Price. Uh, Which I don't was... have. They didn't send me that. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just got the audiobook. I just got the audiobook. To be fair. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I'm really excited to read because it's the same, like I said, it's the same voice actor. So, like, I'm like, man, this will be a lot of fun. I, I love, you know, so I'm, to be honest, I'm really looking forward to listening to that. So, I will hopefully be, I have um Land, the Lando book too. I just haven't really had a, you know, th- those books are a little harder for me to get into. It's because, you know, but I love Lando. So, I, I need to, I, I'm going to check him out soon. But, I thought Lando's luck was really good, too. Really? Mm-hmm. What does it take place? Before Solo. Um, it's it's Lando and L3 joining forces with a princess to retrieve a stolen, like, part of the royal treasury slash armory. And uh, oh. it's good. The dialogue's really fun. Okay. Right on. All right. And then quickly touching on comics, because there's Age of the Republic by Jody Hauser which has Qui-Gon Maul and Obi-Wan. Is this out yet? I can't remember. Well, so this yes. is a series. So okay. Age of the Republic is a series of one-issue stories, all of which are going to feature different characters. Um, So far, we have Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and Maul, and then upcoming is Jango Fett and several others. Um, Jango just came out this week. Oh, cool. Um, so I wanted to talk about these. I've only read the mall one, but I really liked it. And I know, Paul, you said you liked them, that the ones that you read as well. Mm-hmm. I found that Jody Hauser really gets into kind of the meat of the characterization. Uh, the mall comics started out looking like it was going to be a very typical story about like malls and the underworld. And he was like involved with somebody double crossing somebody and ends up killing this guy but then it becomes more about a lesson that Sidious is teaching Maul and he has a vision of himself as a Jedi and the whole time he just hates this vision but at the same time you see that Sidious is intending it as a further reinforcement of how much Maul should hate the Jedi and that like maybe there's a part of him that actually wants to be this and it's very um, sympathetic to Maul in a way, I think, that shows that Sidious is the one that's kind of pulling the strings the whole time, and it's also just a, a really cool, like, action story with, like, similar to, you know, this is Maul's version of when Luke goes into the cave of the dark side and sees the vision of himself as Vader, but it's in reverse, and it was very cool. Ooh, that is cool, I dig that. And the first issue was with Qui-Gon, and that was more of kind of exploring the fact that he's kind of very different from the rest of the Jedi, and he doesn't mind being that different character, and just how he connects to the Jedi Council and, and everything. It's It was really cool. It was kind of, it got into the, the ideas, more of the ideals of what Qui-Gon is, and and like I said, Jody Hauser's nailed it. The Obi-Wan book was okay. That that was the weakest of the three I've read so far. I haven't read the Jingo Fett one, but it wasn't bad by any means. It, it was a little more forgettable. I can't remember what exactly happened. <laughs> um to be honest, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. But no, the, the Maul book is really good and the Qui-Gon book is really good. Jody Hauser just has a really good knack for 
get, like getting the dialogue and and just really knows how to structure a good short, you know regular comic book because she did that for uh she was a rogue one and thrawn like adaptation uh writers and she did a great job i mean i read a little bit of a thrawn book comic book and, and that was you know she can only do so much with that because by you know already done <laughs> but you know it was fine and and she did a great job with the rogue one comic i thought i thought she did a great job kind of kind of um giving us kind of different takes on things and also um kind of breaking down and giving us different visuals because you know and the artist is going to do what the writer tells them kind of basically and jody hauser really did a great job of of just staging out that comic book and and she does she's a great job of 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 really pacing things really well like i said she did a great job on all these comics and that darth maul one's really good and i look forward to reading the jingo fett one so yeah i'm hoping that they give her more stuff to write i mean hey give her an emphasis nest series i'd I'd read that please i think we all would (laughs) so yeah that's the blaster cannon seal of approval on that mole comic let's move on no no i'm like what would the blaster cannon seal of approval look like and it would just look like a blaster scar like yeah Ooh, i like that yeah it can't look like that (laughs) blaster scar yeah yeah anyway we have our main topic today which is rogue one because Rogue One's a good movie, and we figured we'd revisit it, partly because it's the new year and we want to do something exciting, but also because there has been the announcement of a Cassian and or TV series, and obviously Rogue One is the biggest thing that has Cassian in it. We love this movie, I think. Paul, you love this movie, right? I love Rogue One. Okay, yeah, we love this movie. So this is going to be a very positive way to start the new year with our podcast, to talk about something that we love and revisit something that, you know, has been around for a while, and a lot of stuff has happened in Star Wars since then. But this was kind of from a time when everything was still quite new and very exciting. And so it's kind of, it's been cool to rewatch the movie and kind of think about it again in this new kind of time of Star Wars where there's a lot of Star Wars now. It's kind of amazing how much has changed between now and then, even though it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. I was very, um, I kind of hadn't watched Rogue One in a while because it's really heavy and like everything in the world was really heavy. That wasn't the kind of entertainment I was looking for. But when I rewatched it, I was in a better place and there was like, I, I just felt more ready for it. And it was really nice to like have it back kind of to be like, Oh good. <laughs> I can enjoy this again and on a, like an emotional level. And of course I enjoyed it from a filmmaking level so much because i just think that the tone is great and the dialogue is great and i know we're mostly going to talk about cassian but i also really appreciated krennic this time around because he just has this like incredible poise to him and there's this whole mix especially in the first in like the very beginning of the movie where um galen and krennic are confronting each other there's this tone of like ominousness with a veneer of comfort over it and Krennic is trying very hard to seem like he's a good guy and at that one point he says we'll be all right like just before he shoots Lyra and it's all very good like how the actors bring a kind of hesitation and realism to it and I like Cassian all right he's okay (laughs) (laughs) wow only like Cassian all right, huh? He's not, this, he's this... not my boy, Bodhi Rook, so... Gotcha. That's... Everyone loves Bodhi. I don't mind Bodhi. I like Bodhi. I like all the characters in Rogue One, to be honest. But he's never... He's never. I never gravitated towards Bodhi like a lot of you guys did. Um, well, I think there are more people who like Cassian. 
Yeah, I mean, the Bodhi Rook thing for me is largely because of Rogue Podron, and I'm not quite sure how we got to that in Rogue Podron either. <laughs> My boy in Rogue One is obviously K2. <laughs> yeah. My boy. For me, my my boy is I love Chir. I love oh my gosh, Jin. I almost forgot Jin's name for a second. That was weird. <laughs> it's been I love a while. Chir. Yeah, yeah. I love Chir. I love Jin. I love Saw. I love. Yeah, that's uh, it. I love all of the characters a lot. Yeah, the I think that's kind of the that's kind of the I think Rogue One's like secret weapon is that it's a movie. It's it's a you know it's a a one and done movie. It's got a lot of characters. And there's not really a ton of development, I would say, like with all the characters, they make sacrifices, you know, but like, you know, but there doesn't need to be, I don't think either. You know, I I, I think the characters make their sacrifices and I guess that you call it character development, I guess. But yeah, I, I just feel this movie is just a secret weapon is a really diverse line of characters of, you know, who they are, where they come from. And giving us different perspectives on everything and giving us like the force aspect, the mercenary aspect, the the more like I'm just a regular person stuck in this war aspect with Bodie Rook. Um, you've got the, you know, I'm bitter aspect with um uh, uh, ba- with with a uh, uh, base, you've got uh, you know, like redemption with uh, uh, Galen. You've got you know pure evil with Krennic. Uh, there's there's so much there's diversity of characters in this movie that there's something for everyone, and I think that's what. I think it's such a uh, it's secret weapon is that everyone kind of gravitates towards their own, their own character in K2, you know, like everyone has that in a movie like like Star Wars Rogue One. But with with Star Wars, you know, you, with like the original trilogy, you have only like four characters, you know, and then the other prequel trilogy, you have more characters where this has like double the characters and you kind of can kind of pick and go, oh, I love that one more than that one. I love that. Yeah, one more well, than that one. I, I think that that's always the case in terms of what fans do. Too, but I think what something that you're getting at that is unique to this is the ensemble factor exactly. and the fact that it's sort of this found family thing. I do wish there had been more women in this group. Jin is kind of alone in that, but I agree that it's cool to have so many like characters from different backgrounds. You know, it it feels like an RPG party. It's not here's the trio. It's here's the party. And they all kind of connect to each other really well in a way that feels good to see them all together. But they also stand alone quite well. Yeah, um, I, I mean, they I'm all stand alone pretty well. I'm hesitant to give this the kind of like to say that it has that kind of like feel good aspect of a found family, which yeah. I'm not necessarily sure is what you were going for or not. No, but like, not at all. Like it, it has aspects of it at times, like when Baze calls Jin's sister. But I'm more mean that like the characters have chemistry with each other. As opposed to, like, they connect in a loving, loving way. They clearly stick together and will fight together by the end of it. And they care about each other to a point. Yeah. But they just, as a ensemble, all of their interactions are just really good. Yeah. And then within that, there is that sort of disconnect. There's that question of who doesn't trust who and why. And I think that kind of transitions nicely into Cassian's characterization and how yep. he changes throughout the movie. So... The TV show is before the movie, which means that we're going to be seeing Cassian before he is in... Well, I guess we'll kind of see why Cassian is like he is in this movie, but he grows a lot in this film. So Solo is... Solo, I was reading your notes, which is saying the Cassian TV show is going to have the Solo problem because Cassian does a lot of growth 
in this movie. Like he goes from being this rebel spy who will do anything for the cause to someone who is more focused on the individual people around him than the general cause, which I think is an important growth for him. It's it's a very interesting growth as well. But we're gonna not we're not gonna have that in this series. He's gonna be a different character. What makes Cassian so interesting is the fact that. And, and again, this and this is something in the reshoots that Tony Gilroy came in and, and really saved this movie. I won't say saved this movie. He came in and really helped this movie out with some of the rough things. And and I know this the scene where he shoots the guy th- with one arm, that was a reshoot. And that was something that they put in later in the film to kind of establish where Cassian's at. And I think, you know, as far as, you know, he's one of the few people I think actually does get character development, obviously, in the movie or some kind of growth as as far as the character goes. What's fascinating about Cassian and wh- is, is that we we're going to be able to get to see why did he come to that? Where has Cassian been as far as like what's brought him to that point to, to get to that low where he has to kill someone innocently in cold blood? you know, where he has no qualms about it. Whereas he could have just left him there and just, you know, but no, he like, how has he been burned with that before? Where does that come from? The acting by Diego Luna in that scene alone is phenomenal because when he shoots him and he like stares down, you see on his face of, I had to do it and oh well, but it's also a sense of remorse. It's a, it's a perfect balance that he's able to, to portray in his face, which is not easy for an actor. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think they, they're going to a Cassian Andor series that he can get highly, you know, emotional. Like you see in the scene where he tells Jen, I've been in this fight for since I was six years old. We're also going to see a lot of more subtleties that, I, that Diego Luna does a great job of in the movie. Whereas with Jen in the canon novel, it doesn't it kind of sums up her history pretty easily. Unfortunately, I think there is some room for some cool stories in there somewhere. But um, for the most part, you kind of know where she comes from. Casting, you have no clue. And, and you already set up the fact that he comes from a really rough background where, you know, he was born into war. And he, it's all he's really known. The fact he doesn't kill Galen on Edu is, is a big transformation. So obviously there's 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 some, you know, backstory to all this. And I, I, I think that to me what Rogue One does a great job of. It tells it wants you want to know more. Just like with Bayes and Shirt. So, I want to know everything about Bayes and Shirt. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That Edu part really struck me on the second or the second however many it's been the recent rewatch because he could have shot krennic 
if Galen had not been his first priority. I just thought that would like that was like a cool kind of alternate universe thing where Cassian could have killed Krennic right there, but then everybody else would have scattered. This the program would still be going, the scientists would still be alive, depending on when he did it. Um, so that wouldn't have achieved his mission. But he stuck to the mission in that his target was Galen the whole time. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, that he could... I don't remember if that's addressed in the novel or not. But I just thought it was kind of a cool, like, what if, you know? Yeah, I love those kind of what if questions. So, let's talk a little bit about Cassian as he is in the movie, which we've already touched on. Cassian and K2, which is an important relationship in the film. And I'm kind of hoping that K2 is also in the series because... I love K2 and I also love Cassian yeah. and K2 together. Like the scene where they get caught walking through Jeddah and K- and K2's like, yes, I have these prisoners. I'm taking them to prison. <laughs> I'm taking them to imprison them in prison. And then like he slaps Cassian. Um, and you can see Diego Luna's trying not to laugh because that was like improv. <laughs> and I, so I love good. their dynamic. And I really want more of that because I love K2 a lot as well. And I also want more droid content. But like Cassian... I feel like with if it's just Cassian, like they need K2 to kind of balance him out a bit because Cassian pre Rogue One is quite a serious character. He's he's yeah. very serious. And K2 kind of rounds that edge a little bit and gives us a bit of humor, which is I think very important in Star Wars. We haven't heard about any other characters in the series yet. We don't really know anything about it, but because literally one of my favorite parts of this movie is just anytime Cassian and K2 banter. It's my favorite thing. I seriously love it. This is my favorite droid banter in any movie. So I really, really want to see that again because it just fills me with joy whenever I think about it. It makes me real happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that I definitely hope this show will touch on is maybe the history between Cassian and K2. As well as Cassian says, we've all done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. Like I, I think the show might show that story and uh, that would be a that would go a good way toward establishing who Cassian is and kind of what the state of the rebellion is during this time another thing that I thought about during this rewatch is Cassian's agnosticism when it comes to the force he doesn't subscribe to a particular idea of it the way uh, Chirrut does and he doesn't seem to think of it as a moral entity as a like the force forbids us to do anything in particular he you know he and the force have different priorities is is what they say so i wonder whether that will come into the series at all or whether they're not going to touch on the force at all um this is you know something else that we see with the mandalorian that they seem to be focusing on characters who are not force sensitive and i don't you know that's fine i don't know i don't think there's a particular reason why but it made me think about whether cassian in particular is a good character with which you could explore the idea of whether the force fates people to do something or whether they choose it of their own of their their free will and i think in rogue one we see that they choose to go and do the right thing. So is that kind of the force pushing them to make that choice? I always like to think about force mysticism, especially now that we've seen things like the world between the worlds where people can go back and try to save people who have died using the force. It's an extraordinary occurrence, but it's something that exists in Star Wars now. And I think it would be kind of interesting to see Cassian, who's very agnostic to it, end up asking some of these questions or rather maybe even not asking them like very intentionally not asking them when he's confronted with some kind of force mysticism 
I do like the idea of a non-Force user who doesn't really have strong feelings about the Force getting confronted by the Force existing in, like, a world that has the Force. If they do end up doing, like, exploring his relationship with the Force in some way, like, not in terms of him having it, but just him existing around it would be really interesting. I don't feel like that's where they're going to go, but I would really love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel like they're going there either, but there's a there's a quote from Kreia that's about like what the force is to people who are not force users to people and it's something like like people that can't see like the system of the universe but are beholden to it anyway oh Darth Korea that's a throwback <laughs> it's a deep cut <laughs> yeah <It> really is <laughs> she's so good and she has such interesting things about the like the nature of the force because she talks about the different like basically what it is to be a non-force user in a world where the force exists which is kind of what you said and like that's why I thought about her it's all a circle (laughs) (laughs) the force aspect was surprisingly really really prevalent in this movie with Baze and Chirrut. And that's one another thing that I thought was handled really well it's not really it's not really in solo you know, I don't really need it. It felt more prevalent in Rogue One than in, I, I feel like, in The like Force Awakens. And they talk about The Force a lot in The Force Awakens, but I, it just feels more, even more mystical to me hmm. in, in Rogue One. And I think it's probably probably because of Chirrut and Bayes. Because with, with, with Chirrut, it, it's hard to, you know, the whole blind warrior thing, I have a hard time with that. But what's interesting about that whole thing is that you could argue that he's not using the Force, the Force is using him. And you can argue it either way. But I just love that I was fascinated at how much, how much Chirrut, you know, was faithful to the Force. And, the, and that they, they really played up that, that aspect of that character. And it never gets old for me. Rogue One is my fourth favorite Star Wars movie, and that's behind <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, flip a coin for those two, it doesn't matter. And then then it goes Episode 3, and then Rogue One. Rogue, the Rogue One to be that high up is a big deal. I remember just watching that, just being blown away, and, and really gravitating towards the spiritual aspect of the film. I just think it's interesting that you referred to it as faith, because I wonder if part of that feeling comes from the fact that you do see the remnants of an organized force order in Rogue One the way you don't in the sequel trilogy. Because in the sequels, the Jedi have disappeared, and in Rogue One, you see, yes, the Empire has destroyed it, but until relatively recently, Baze and Chirrut essentially lived in, a, like, a monastery for the Force. So there is this presence of, like, organized, I don't want to say worship, because that's not how it works with the Force, but, like, organized Force adherence that doesn't exist in the sequel trilogy. I, I, I don't know, but maybe that's where you're getting that feeling from. It just feels like more of a religion at that point because of the time frame it takes place in, just where of what it's talked about and how Baze is, re- is is refusing to believe, and you've got Chirrut the whole time just being like the perfect, like he's he, but he's always a step ahead of people, you know, like when he grabs the hand of uh, Jin, uh, I think it's Jin, right, and when they're on the ship, like he's like no, yeah. like he's like he's a stop, like he's always a step ahead of people. It, it, and I don't know. I, I I don't know if I attest that to the, the fact that he's religious or he's, he's full of the force. I don't know. Like, I kind of like that it's kind of up to you as the viewer to kind of figure that out. 
That's interesting, though, because there is definitely this through line of the fact that the Force is kind of guiding Baze and Shira specifically the whole way. And the movie does not, as much as it interrogates a lot of the ideas in Star Wars, it it doesn't ever suggest that the Force is not with them, you know? (laughs) I think it's actually really kind of beautiful how this movie handles the Force. For a movie that was like, there are no Jedi in this movie, it's not about Jedi, it really is just kind of largely about the force and the way the force kind of intertwines with hope because hope is such an integral part to star wars it is the heart of star wars really and the force goes with that just from the start it kind of has because you know luke has the force and the force is the force gives him hope because it gives him this ability to step forth and be the hero he needs to be and like so like the jedi being a hopeful figure has always been a thing and i feel like This movie of all movies was the one to explore how the Force affects the galaxy outside of Jedi and Sith. Obviously, we get Darth Vader at the end, and that is great. But it's very different throughout the movie. It's kind of, it's steeped in this Force mysticism. And even though none of the characters, like, we have base and Turret, obviously. Like, Turret incredibly believes in the Force, and Cassian's like, whatever. The Force is there, I guess. And Jin has this connection to her mother through this kyber crystal that she's got. Um, and her mother, like, being someone who really looked up to the Jedi, because she even wears robes similar to Jedi, which was designed on purpose. And it it just feels really kind of lovely like it seems weird to say something it's lovely that this movie is lovely but it is really kind of poetic the way that they mm-hmm. show the force and have the characters experience the force to the movie without ever being like the force is doing these things for them it's not about the force creating these circumstances or like for like helping them win it's just part of part of what's happening and it's like when they're trying to give each other hope they say may the force be with you like that's their thing to do when someone's leaving to do something difficult even if they don't necessarily believe in it but it's it's such an important part of this movie it's such a strong theme of this movie really and i really love that for such a grounded military film i appreciate that they have that kind of like faith mysticism bit in it one of the parts that struck me as lovely or even delicate in the way that you mentioned was when Jin is first hiding in the cave and she has to shake the light to get it to turn on. Yeah. And it just struck me as so symbolic of it's going to be hard, like the light isn't going to come immediately and it's not necessarily going to come as soon as you need it, but it's going to be there for you when you kind of work for it. I thought that was was really beautiful and really kind of spoke to that theme of hope. I also really like Jin is contrasted with Galen when she's looking for her toys because she's a kid. She like tries to get her toys when she's leaving the house and Galen is getting like these data chips. And I thought it was cool that you see her, um, both of those things contrasted against each other of like what they're, what they value, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that also is a contrast to Cassian. I think I was definitely watching in this movie for contrast and connections between Jin and Cassian. I'm not as into like their dynamic as it could be, or maybe even not as much as the movie wanted me to. But I think that the contrast between the ways they're introduced is interesting because she's willing to like save the little girl on Jetta and he isn't. Um, she's introduced as very sympathetic, if rough around the edges. He's introduced as like the cool guy, but also he murders a man in his first scene. Like, um, <laughs> they are very different in a way. You know, it's arguable whether they have chemistry or not and how they become more similar throughout the movie. And obviously, in the end, it's their 
them working together that makes uh, a big difference. But I think I, I saw more of the differences this time around, maybe because I was watching for them, maybe because that's part of the process of the movie is that the two of them start out coming from different positions. And also in terms of she doesn't want to be involved and he is he has to be involved. So they work that out throughout as well. I'm really into their dynamic. I love how like they've kind of been in a similar situation. They've both been in the fight for a long time, but Jin has refused to actually be in the fight. Like she's kind of been forced into it. Her dad was kidnapped. Her mother was killed and she had to run away with Saw. Whereas Cassian was like, he was forced into it, but he also actually fought. Um, And they kind of pull each other back from either side that they're on because of Cassian Jin becomes someone who's willing to fight for the rebellion. And because of Jin, Cassian is willing to kind of step back from the edge he's at and actually find empathy for people around him. They kind of balance each other out in a lot of ways. And by the end of it, like at first, you know, they're kind of clashing a lot because of that. But by the end of it, you can see that like it, it works out for them. Um, Like they, they have this, they're both kind of lost souls in this like war torn galaxy. And in the end, they only really have each other. But in the end, I think that's kind of all they need right before the Death Star hits that planet because they both change so much, um, largely because of the other person. They've kind of become more full versions of themselves, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. Paul, do you have any particular thoughts on the like Cassian Jin dynamic and how that may or may not connect to the TV show? I don't I don't see it connecting to the TV show. In my opinion, I think you'd see more of just a Cassian butting heads with people more than anything and, and being and, and struggling to connect with people. And when he does it burning him and that's why he's so apprehensive, you know, connecting with Jen until the very end when he like kind of is like, what am I doing? I want to see that why he doesn't connect to Jen right away, because they eventually do. But obviously something was holding him back. He had to kill. He had to kill her dad. But, I mean, even besides (laughs) that, he kind of was whatever. He just did his own thing. So I want to see someone who is a yes man but struggles with it start and and starts to see a little bit of the yes man coming back to bite him. But not enough to where he, he has to start making that jump because you can't do that until Rogue One. But you start to see the cracks in it. He starts to see like the... The, the the maybe Draven's in the new series and then he starts to see the cracks in Draven and things like that. So that's what I'd want to see um, in a casting and or series. And, and that the connection that way, the connection to Jen is way more impactful because he doesn't connect with other people as well. So it makes that whole connection with Jen and not killing her father more meaningful in the movie. Yeah, I never thought about that. I This movie, this series really has potential to kind of do for Rogue One what the Clone Wars did for me for the yeah. Revenge of the Sith because of the way that they showed Anakin in the Clone Wars and the way he grows through the Clone Wars. Revenge of the Sith is a lot more tragic for me now and actually gets me super emotional um, because as opposed to like knowing just the Anakin from the movies, who was a little bit of a weenie, you get this like really deep Anakin. You know a lot about him. He's tragic hero and everything makes so much more sense for Revenge of the Sith. I never thought about the fact that like this this prequel series could really like amp up feelings for Rogue One. And the Rogue Clone One already Wars, has a lot of feelings for me. No, the Clone Wars is a good example right there. And I think that's the counterpoint to the solo problem quote is that the Clone Wars got six seasons, seven now out of what came before Anakin's tragedy. I also like your point about how Draven might be in the series. Any other thoughts on Rogue One and or 
the Cassian series. I, I guess for me, I just want to say that Rogue One it just it shows you the power of the one and done movie. You don't everything doesn't have to be connected to a greater trilogy or anything. And I think Solo is a great example of that as well. I know you guys aren't Solo fans, but I'm a diehard Solo fan. And Solo and to me, Rogue One and Solo are, are neck and neck. It, Rogue One edges it out because I think that it has a way more emotional weight to it than Solo does. Um, but they're just I love how what these both these films kind of offer this kind of one and done. You know, there's nothing I can watch it and don't have to like feel I have to watch the other films afterwards necessarily. <laughs> Um, which is, is a good and a bad thing. I, I, I love, I love binge watching like Star Wars films and, but I also love just watching like, you know, one Star Wars film and being like, ah, I felt good, you know? And, and that's the thing with, uh, like, like I look at Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith to me is a very good, like just a one and done for me for whatever reason. I, it's hard to explain why, but it is, but Rogue One really is that for me too, because it, it is. And, and you could go and carry on more, but it just feels like a good, like just good story to me. And I just, I love it. And I would love, I really do hope we see Bayes and Shirt back at some point, but you know, who knows if we will. Yeah. Actually speaking of like one and done things, um, similar to how the Clone Wars makes me have feelings about Revenge of the Sith, uh, watching Rogue One and then watching A New Hope, like right after each other, I did that once and I got extremely emotional watching A New Hope because whenever they talked about the rebel plans, all I could think about was they fought so hard to get them there and it's happening. Yes. For them. They made they made it work, but they're yes. all gone. <laughs> and so <laughs> I actually like get really emotional during A New Hope now because of Rogue One. Um so yeah, like I guess Solo is so recent that that was really the only example I was thinking of. But there are actually a lot of examples of Star Wars media, like, being a prequel to something else and actually really putting some weight on that because of it. And I hope that the series ends up doing the same thing. I could say my unpopular Rogue One opinion. Go for it. I don't think the Tarkin CGI was that bad. It yeah, looks it really okay. wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> like, think anyone... Did anyone think it was that bad? I thought it was great. I think the biggest issue with seeing it on the big screen is it is a lot more obvious. But when you're watching it on a small screen, it's really not that bad. And also, there were a lot of people who watched it and didn't realize it was CG. At first, it was just fluid. And then some people online said it looked bad. And I was like, I don't. maybe I have bad taste in CGI. I don't know. It looked fine to me. I think the issue is that people who play like a lot of video games and stuff find it quite easy to pick out CG characters and things. I definitely know I do. I have a way easier time than a lot of other people because I'll notice it because I've played enough games that I recognize like CG characters very quickly. And also because I used to watch the old Final Fantasy CG things. Seth, Ignoring that. I am offended that you do not believe that I play Destiny 24 hours a day. No, <laughs> go on. It's also not the same kind of animation at all. Yeah, it's not. But like this, there is a particular feeling to CG animation like that, that people who have had yes, more experience like with it pick it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, whereas like people who don't have as much experience with seeing that kind of stuff don't pass it as quickly. And so I think there's a very big difference between fans who might notice it and hate it and like the general audience who are just like, oh, it's Tarkin. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I could be totally wrong. And we may well get people who tell me I'm wrong about this. But I am defending your opinion, Meg. Megan. Thank Why you. do I call you Meg? What the heck? She called you Meg, but that's fine. No, it's Megan. That's that's weird. 
I appreciate your diligence in in saying it correctly. I didn't even hear you at first. (laughs) (laughs) Because I potted with Rogue Pod yesterday, so my brain was like, yes, Meg is the right name. Oh, yeah, yeah. We must differentiate us anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm glad that we were able to revisit Rogue One because I kind of feel like it's the thing that ties Blaster Cannon together a little bit. Like, we're just all really excited about it, and that's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice having a thing that we all like, because I mean, we all like a lot of things, like as the other people do, but Rogue One's kind of that one love that we can always just go back to. Yep, so I'll definitely be curious to see what the Disney uh, streaming service does with Cassian, and there's definitely going to be a lot of buzz when they announce who the other actors are and what other characters might be showing up. Please, Disney, Lucasfilm, give me K2, please. It's all I want. He's going to be in it. I think it's a like, foregone They've let me down with L3. They have to give me this now. Oh, jeez. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. So any final thoughts before we wrap this episode up? Mm, nope. I think we're good. Awesome. Okay. We will be back next month with another episode. Maybe on the teaser if it happens. We just don't know. Or um, title <laughs> announcement. Or title announcement. That would be exciting. Have a good new year, everybody. Thank you for still being with us. Or if you're a new listener, thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or anywhere else that we are. I can't say I know where we are, but I know we're on iTunes. Uh, Leave us a rating, a nice review, because we appreciate those. They keep us going. Yeah, you can find us on pretty much anywhere you want to get podcasts. um, Spotify as well, or Den of Geek itself. Also, shout out to Den of Geek for the new art. Um, we have a new cover art, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you, Den of Geek, for having us. We do love it here. Yes, so we'll be back do. soon. Have a good 2019 with Star Wars. Don't go too hard. We'll see you soon. Saf, let's do social. Where can people find you? Oh, that's a thing. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Uh, people can find me. <laughs> that was such a good sign-off. And now I've ruined it. Uh, people can find me on Wanderlustin on Twitter. Uh, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N Megan, where people can find you? Wow, I'm just, I'm stumbling now. Where can people find you, Megan? People can find me on uh, Twitter at blog full of words. I write for StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, and Den of Geek. Yes, and Paul. You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's and also my other podcast, The Saga Continues, and also Marvel Newscast. And the Blaster Cannon Twitter is at Blaster Cannon Pod. Paul runs it. It's good. It's good fun. I don't really, I don't think I run it, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I oversee it. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to let us know anything, if you have any thoughts on Cassian and the new series, or just Rogue One in general, or just any Star Wars stuff that you want to hear us talk about, hit us up on there. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 